today is going to be strange, no doubt, going to be strange. In school, one of the bigger challenges we had when we went to school was to learn of First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, which in Hebrew Bibles, First, Second, Third, Fourth, Fifth, Sixth Kings. So it's it's complicated. You know, there's a lot of people, a lot of names, a lot of strange names for us. You know, we don't name our our folks a lot of the names that they name them. I get a kick out of those names actually. I have Alexander Scorby read those to me. <clears throat> and Alexander pronounces them magnificently. Magnifical. That's a word. King James Bible. Magnifical. Solomon said, I want to build the temple. Magnifical. And I like that. So, I want to go over the area of the kings. The history of Israel is in the Bible. Why is it in the Bible? You folks read your Bible through. Hopefully you're finishing reading your Bible through this year. You know you're going to read your Bible through. People say to me, I don't like reading the Old Testament. It's four-fifths of the Bible. It's four-fifths of the Bible. If you don't like reading the Old Testament and don't read the New Testament, you're only reading a fifth of what God had to say. The Old Testament has a massive amount of truth in it of who God is. Because remember, the God of the Old Testament is the same God as the New Testament. Now, you understand the God of the New Testament, Jesus, he came in the form of a servant, made likeness of man, being found in fashion man. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Okay. So he is, he's came in, he came in a way. God is spirit, he said in John 4, 24, and they that worship him must worship him, spirit and truth, the Father. So the Son came so that you'd know the Father. Because you can't know the Father because he's spirit. And so flesh and spirit are in different realms, if you want to say it that way. We don't see spirit. And so to for God to relate to man, uh, and this happened actually was decided now before the foundation of the world. Uh, it was decided that the son would come and take upon a form of a human, and he'd be a servant. He wouldn't be a leader. Wouldn't be uh, he wouldn't be royal blood. He was a carpenter's son. He he wouldn't even have an education. He wouldn't have an education per se. He could read, right? Well, actually, Jesus could do anything, but he hid it well. And he hid it so well that even, even his uh, people that were close to him would say, what manner of man is this? You know, that even the winds and the waves obeying. They had been with him a little while. They still, in other words, when you saw Jesus, you would think he's just a normal guy. He did not come, God did not come in an outrageous, wild, woo, this is God, let's everybody worship him for him. He came just as a normal man. In fact, we find out from Isaiah 53 that he came and he was not attractive. I get really weary with seeing pictures of Jesus where he's attractive or movies of Jesus where he's attractive. He was not attractive. There's, there, read Isaiah chapter 53. There's no beauty that we should desire him. There's no beauty that we should desire him. He did not have. And what, what do we value? You say, well, I don't value beauty, but you do. You do. And so God came in a form and in a way that would typically not attract man. 
as woo, he's just, he wasn't royal blood, he wasn't highly educated, he wasn't educated. I mean, we know he was God manifest in the flesh, but I'm saying, as far as man was concerned, he had no formal education. It wasn't from Harvard, or he wasn't from Yale, or he wasn't from some special school that they respected, the school of Gamaliel, or any of that. Uh, and so they would say, who are you? Where are you coming from? How do you know this? When he was 12 years old. He was asking questions of the of the PhDs, you know, and they were stunned at his ability. To, and he was still hiding himself. And when his disciples found out he was who he was and began to realize who he was, he'd say, "Now, hmm, don't say anything. My hour has not yet come." There was a moment when he was going to reveal himself as who he was, and when he did that, he knew they would crucify him. Now, he was not crucified. That crucifixion thing is not out of control. That was absolutely in control. He did what he did when he knew he was going to, when they would react, and da-da-da-da-da, and they crucified him the way it was planned before the foundation of the world. Even to the beating, pulling out of the beard, going around mocking him, all that was predicted in the Old Testament, a thousand years in the book of Psalms, 1,000 years before it happened. Now, you know, <clears throat> prophecy, real prophecy, that is, that is ahead of time and then fulfilled exactly, minutely, is not possible unless God does it. There was a testimony of the Bible being the holy book of holy books. There was a lot of there's a lot of so-called holy books in the world, Quran, other books. But the difference is the Bible. The difference between all of them and the Bible is a prophecy. Thirty percent of the Bible is prophecy. Some people say more, but at least thirty percent of the Bible is prophecy, and half of that has been fulfilled ahead of it was it was predicted. Sometimes, like I say, a thousand years before, sometimes 500 years before, 300 years before, and was fulfilled exactly the way it was predicted. And you know the, the uh, mathematical probability of just eight prophecies being fulfilled, I believe, is one to the 56th power. Or is that 10 to the 56th? Whatever. It's impossible. Mathematically impossible. I took a course about Jones called probabilities, mathematical probabilities, and that was all real interesting. You can predict a lot of stuff through mathematics. In fact, we couldn't have gone to the moon without algebra. You have to have, how many here like algebra? Raise your hand. You're strange. Anyway, so I figured, I figured Wall ain't like algebra. And when I went into algebra, I thought I was into Chinese, Mandarin Chinese. And I thought, what, what is this for? Why would we ever learn? One thing I learned out of algebra, okay, this is a lesson from algebra. If a problem has more than one variable, it can never be solved. That'll help you with your marriage. That'll help you with your marriage. Quit trying to solve stuff you can't solve. If there's more than one variable, you can't solve it. You'll never figure out what's going on in our government. You're never going to figure out what's all. There's too many variables. With all these variables, it's not possible to figure out what's, you can't solve the problem. And so that, I, if I didn't learn anything on algebra, I think I, maybe, I, maybe it was even geometry I learned it. I don't know. But it was, I love geometry and hated algebra. Is that normal? And you love algebra and hate geometry. Did you like geometry? Well, you like both. You are the strangest guy I've ever been around, but I love your brother. My brother, he, he's a painter. So I, 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 I and by the way, 
could you possibly, while we're here talking about this, fix these little white spots on that deal? <laughs> well, well, we keep beating them things up, man. I don't know what goes on. The, the Ten Commandments came down from the mountain, you know. Let's get beat up a little bit. Okay, I'm back. The Old Testament is who God is. The New Testament is who God is. He's multifaceted. He came as a lamb in the New Testament, amen? Jesus came as a lamb. But how's he coming back? He's coming back more like the Old Testament, isn't he? Or coming back more like Jehovah God. Uh-huh. It says, ye that are uh, troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus Christ uh, comes back with in flaming fire, uh, I'll get this, maybe, maybe not. In flaming fire. He's coming back in flaming fire. And so he's going to bring, come back in judgment. He's not coming back in as a lamb. The lamb thing's over. Over. He came as a lamb. He was sacrificed for your sin, for my sin. He paid the price that God the Father and he and demanded for sin. Sin has to be paid for. It has to be. And it will be. How is it paid for? Either you pay for your own sin or you let Jesus pay for your sin. There's really just two choices. How do I let Jesus pay for my sin? I trust him as my personal savior. How do you do that? You believe that he is who he said he was. God manifests the flesh. He asked Peter, who do men say that I am? And they said this, that, and the other thing. And he says, well, who do you think I am? He says, that you're, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus said to Peter, that the Holy Spirit revealed that to you. And if you believe he's the Christ, the son of the living God, and he came, he paid for our sins on the cross, he was, he was buried, he died, really died, he didn't swoon, he died, buried the third day, rose, and was raised from the dead, buried, and the third day was raised from the dead. That's what I'm trying to say. And physically, visibly, bodily raised from the dead. It wasn't a swoon deal. It was three days, so you'd know it had to be. So he came up, and uh, he, where is he at now? The right hand of the Father, making intercession for those who... who uh, Trust him, the Savior. I hope that's you. So what is the Old Testament for? It's to reveal in a, in a really clear degree the nature of God. Now, what do I learn from the Old Testament? He hates sin. What else do I learn from the Old Testament? Man is a mess. Man's a mess. God entrusted Adam and Eve in a beautiful environment. Every tree in the garden they could eat. He only put two trees in there. And he said, "Don't one tree specifically, don't touch that tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Just one. That's where they went. She went out shopping. Goes to the tree. I got to have it. Gives it to her husband. He takes it. The fall of man. God lost his first two children to sin and the evil one. And so we learn that battle, that, that, that contest between good and evil. We see that begin all the way in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, and then it folds its way out all the way to the cross of Christ in Matthew. And so we see in Matthew the cross, the Jesus being born, and then he's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, his birth, his life, his miracles, his ministry, and his rejection, and his eventual crucifixion and resurrection, and real quickly his ascension. To heaven, not much after 
after that, just a little bit about his going back into heaven. And so he's there waiting for, now we get this period of time. You know, I believe from reading the New Testament, Paul didn't think it was going to be long. Paul felt like in his lifetime, it could be over. In other words, this, this dispensation of grace, as he calls it, it's going to be over. And so 2,000 years, it's not over. Why? He underestimated how much God loves people. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to have a chance to be saved. And people say, oh, I want Jesus to come back. So do I. But I realize by saying that, I'm also excluding some people from being saved, possibly, until the last one that he in his foreknowledge gets saved. I say the last person in God's foreknowledge, that does not mean determinative foreknowledge. It just simply means foreknowledge. He knows who's going to be saved. The last person who gets saved is going to get saved. He's going to close the deal out and eventually come back and get a new heaven, new earth. That's really the Bible from beginning to end. So what is... So going back to this king's thing, uh, what's the point of the Old Testament? Now, all these happen under them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. This is the reason for the Old Testament. There are examples for us to go by. So if you don't read, and I've had numbers of people tell me they don't read the Old Testament, they don't like reading it, they don't, they don't understand it, and just because you don't understand something doesn't mean it's not good for you. My mother used to say, eat the cold peas. I don't want to. She said, they're good for you. Remember, eat the spinach. They're good for you. You don't have to. And my mother made it real clear. You do not have to understand for something to be good for you. And if you, if you don't eat them, it'll be bad for you. You don't have to understand everything. Man, I go through them genealogies, and, and they're there for a good reason, by the way. The genealogies in the Old Testament are there for a good reason. They keep track of all that. It's important. God's into detail. And, but when you're reading it through, you know, you, you don't have to try to pronounce every one of those correctly. Just let, let Scorby do it for you. Put Alexander Scorby, and you can go to scorby.com for $20. He reads the entire Old, the old New Testament for you, 20 bucks. He did that in 1953, took him one year to do it. He was, he was meticulously careful about pronunciation, and uh, it's the old King James Bible, man. You ought to get it and have it. If you don't have it for $20, you're never going to get it better. And by the way, the high quality, scorby.com is high quality, good resolution on the whole thing, good for you. Now, the second reason here, we see in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, and this is the New Testament, referring back to the Old Testament, were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So as we look through those stories, and those, those these, uh, they're not just stories like fairy tale stories, they're real happenings of what happened to real people under real situations. And as we learn the lessons that they give us as we learn those things. And when we have these troubles happen to us or similar troubles happen to us, we can go back to them. And we say, well, this is the way we should act. Amen. Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac, which is a good close parallel to the father sacrificing the son. And he was willing to give all the God. Well, how did God do? He let him have Isaac, but he wanted to see if it was real. So what do you learn about God? You learn a lot of things about God from that, pa that passage, and I think it's Genesis 21. 
is you learn that God wants to make sure you are who you say you are. I always say it this way. God doesn't take my word for it. He brings a test up in which tests me to see if my word matches my actions. Are you with me? And that's big. You say, oh, well, God knows my heart. He knows I'm going to do it or not. But you don't. And so when you go through a test and you pass it or fail it, you know kind of who you really are. You know? It lets you know the reality of the situation. For we're going to be judged by the deeds done in the body, whether it be good or bad. You know, ultimately the whole world is going to be judged by what they do and what they say. According to Matthew chapter 12, I think 36, 37, by your words you'll be justified and by the words you'll be condemned. And so to a point, I realize that sin will be under the blood, but our works, those Christians, are going to be piled up in a big pile, and they're going to be just, you know, under the fire of God's judgment. And what's real and biblical and the will of God will last. What's not phony baloney and fake or whatever, or materialistic or wrong, will be burned up. And so that will be your reward and how you end up with eternity. So why read the Old Testament? Because, number one, it's the Bible. It's inspired. Uh, going back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, uh, it speaks not a word, don't change a word of it, don't add a word, or don't, don't subtract a word from it. It was, it was considered holy then. The whole book is, is his word, supernatural, um, and, and preserved by God. So I'm going into these, uh, the good kings of Judah. I'm just, this is a teaching part of this. You remember, and as you read through the Old Testament, you remember when you have you have Saul, first king, right? Then who do you have? David. Ooh, David, big. That's big. That's when God gave the promise to David's family. And then you have who? His son Solomon. What do you remember Solomon for? Wisdom or women? Wisdom, but he was made a fool. Here's the wisest man that ever lived, made the foolish, most foolish guy that ever lived by having a thousand, you know, 700 wives, 300 concubines, whatever it was. That's incomprehensible to me that a wise person would, you know, you can't have two women in a kitchen. So, anyway, but they ruined him, by the way. His life ended horribly, horribly. His life, he ended horribly, the wisest man that ever lived. I have a little, a little thing about women and men. Uh, Samson, the strongest man that ever lived, was destroyed by a woman also. So, it's not, not, is, it your, is it the women's fault? All the men said? Yes. Uh, is, is it, and, and the women, is it the men's fault? Yeah, so I'm glad we're in agreement on that. Okay. Every man is led away of his own lust and enticed. You can't blame anybody in the big picture. Uh, the, the problem is in, in you. Hey, man, it's the sin nature in us. Otherwise, it, wouldn't, it didn't affect Jesus because he didn't have a sin nature like that. So good kings of Judah, there was uh, 20 kings to Israel. Well, you remember they split after Solomon because of the sin of Solomon. It's split to Rehoboam, Jeroboam. Uh, Rehoboam was Solomon's son, and, and he would have inherited the whole 12 tribes, but because of Solomon, he wasn't allowed to. 
and he only got two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And Jeroboam came along, and he got the ten tribes, which is really the majority. Got the ten, we call them the ten northern tribes of Israel that followed him. Now to keep those, and he was afraid when they went three times a year down Jerusalem and sacrificed that they eventually change their loyalty to Rehoboam and then kill him. So in his human reasoning, he created altars in Bethel and Dan, which were calves, and he said, these are your God. Worship this calf as your God. And now well, he fired all the Levites, by the way, all the Levitical priests he fired, got rid of them, said, you go down to, you go down to Judah. And he hired wicked men, base men, men of Belial, the Bible says, that were evil, and he had them as his priests of these two elders. Now, in 201 years, Israel never got over that sin, the sin of Jeroboam. You look through there, you see that over and over, the sin of Jeroboam. 200, I believe it was 201 years before Assyria came in as a judgment from God in 726 or 721 and wiped them out. Took them out. Took them, actually took them out. Took all of them that would be worth, worth taking and took them to Assyria and emptied the land and replaced the replaced them with, with Assyrians in that area. Amazing judgment. And they were scattered, dispersed among the nations, which God said he would do if he turned away from them, way back in Deuteronomy chapter 27, 28. Right? Now, you people that know the Old Testament are appreciating this. You people that don't, you're struggling. That's because you need to know the New Testament. You need to know the Old Testament. There's a lot of good lessons in it, just thousands of great truths to be dug to be they're not on the surface but they can be they can be mined and dug out and help you so then Judah now that, that left Judah and Benjamin now of the of the 10 tribes of unfollowed Jeroboam was the first king there was 20 kings total i think maybe one queen 19 kings and one king not one of them, the Bible says, was good. They were all bad. They were all bad. Every one of them bad. That's because of the sin of Jeroboam. They never got over the sin of Jeroboam. Had they had a good king, first thing he'd have done is destroy the calf in Bethel and the calf in Dan. I've been to Bethel and Dan and seen they found the altar in Dan. I don't know if you all been there. You've seen the altar that they had. They found it. Where they, where they sacrificed all those years there, the remnants of it. They've rebuilt it archaeologically so you can see it. In Bethel, I don't remember seeing it in Bethel. So anyway, so the two southern tribes that were under Rehoboam, which was Solomon's son, now they had eight, what the Bible says was eight good kings. Eight out of 20. They had also 20. They only ate good king. Now, today I'm going to go, in the next four minutes, I'm going to go through five, in four minutes, three minutes, I'm going to go through five of the good kings. And you know I'm not going to finish that today, right? But we're going to go through five of these good kings and review them. That's important as an introduction to what I'm going to do after that, which is what you really want to be here for. All right, here we go. Asa. There were five great, I call them five great kings, though there were eight good kings. There were really five great kings, the first one here being Asa. 
Number three, 40-year reign. Second uh, Chronicles 15, 17, for your benefit. But the high places were not taken away out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was perfect all his days. He had completeness uh, for God. He had done the right thing for God. Asa. Jehoshaphat, number four. And you see the dates. They were there. He reigned for 24 years. Second Chronicles 17, 3-5. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in his first ways of his father David and sought not unto Balaam, but sought the Lord... God of his father and walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established or established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presence and he had riches and honor in abundance. God blessed the good kings. The third one was Uzziah in number nine in, in the order of 20. He reigned 52 years. Man, oh man, that's a long time, amen? And that's found in 2 Chronicles 26, 3 through 5. 16 years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 2 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah Jekaliah of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all the father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah the prophet, who had understanding in the visions of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. So what would you learn out of that? As long as you seek the Lord, God's going to help you. You turn away from God, don't expect things to go well. Now, that's for people who know about God. You understand? I got three, I got two minutes yet, man. We're, we're cooking. Hezekiah, number king number 12, reigned 29 years. Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years, twenty-five years old, and he reigned nine and twenty years, twenty-nine years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. That's a big compliment, by the way. Then going to verse uh, twenty-six, there of chapter thirty. So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there was not like the like in Jerusalem. So it is getting better and better. Things are getting more and more. They're getting better for these folks as they go along. And then this is the big one. This is number five. The, number, the 15th king in all reigned about 31 years, exactly 31 years. He did have his right in the side of the Lord and walked in the ways of David. His father declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. Woo! I think Bob Jones Sr. preached middle, a sermon called Middle C. Don't go to the right hand or to the left. Balance. And for, eight, and for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after God, the, uh, David, his father. In the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places in the groves and the carved images and the molten images. And there was no Passover like, this is the biggest compliment you could get. There's no Passover like that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel. Now, Samuel was the one that anointed Saul. So from the first king to Josiah, he had the best Passover there, there had been. Neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a Passover as Josiah did. And the priests and the Levites and Judah and Israel were present in heaven's Jerusalem. That means he was better than Saul. He was better than David. He was better, had a better Passover than Solomon and anybody following him. He just was the best. This young, this young man, by the way, the lesson of this is seek God where you're young. He was young when he... 
Can a young person see God? They can. They can. He saw him young, stayed with him all the way by the grace of God. So I got to quit. But I'll pick up here, and then we'll, uh, this is introduction really to what I want to go into, because uh, I really want to talk about Josiah. But I want you to have some background on who Josiah was, where did he come from. I just don't want to jump into Josiah because you need to have a little background of where he was, who he was, where, he, where is he placed into the kings. He was, by the way, the last really good king. If I remember right, the last good king. His son may have been okay, but then guess what? I think his grandson was Manasseh, or was that his son? I don't remember off the top of my head. But Manasseh was the worst king that ever had. And because of Manasseh, God said, I'm bringing Babylon in and taking out the last two tribes and going to destroy and burn Jerusalem. That was sad, by the grace of God. But that's what God did, and and, uh, then he brought them back. Heavenly Father, thank you for the few minutes together. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for letting us know about this stuff, the truths of it. Father, we pray that we'd seek you with all our heart, our soul, and our mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. For- if you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.